Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I hope you are ready to grow because Lee Strobel joined me in the studio this week for a conversation on the new apologetics. Lee is the best-selling author of more than 20 books, including his classic, The Case for Christ. Lee has spent the past 25 years sharing the evidence to support Christianity and encouraging and equipping people to share their faith. Most recently, Lee has founded the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University, which seeks to fuel spiritual renewal across America by equipping churches, ministries, and individual Christ followers to naturally share and defend their faith. Now, in this week's episode, Lee and I discuss why apologetics is often overlooked, yet so very important in the local church. Lee shares how our approach to apologetics must change to reach an increasingly skeptical culture, and he details 10 fresh elements of effective apologetics that you'll want to emphasize as you reach your communities for Christ. Be sure to share this one with your ministry leaders and carve out some time to discuss the insights that Lee shares. Now, please, won't you join me in my conversation with Lee Strobel. Lee, welcome. So good to have you here in the studio. Oh, Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, brother. Glad to be here. Love to be uh, here at Outreach. You know, I've been friends with uh, folks at Outreach for many, many years, even before you all moved from California, and just uh, excited by what you're doing. Thank you, brother. Yeah, it's, it's always good to have you here in person, <laughs> which is always fun in the studio. Now, Lee, you've had the opportunity uh, to speak, to share all around the world, to um, equip and encourage people to share their faith and, and how to how to have conversations with people who are far from God. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a, an amazing ministry over the years mm-hmm. and has impacted so many, so many different people. And I'm really looking forward to just our conversation today, kind of unpacking a bit about how to um, maybe better approach this idea of apologetics, right? And, yeah. And, and, and kind of how apologetics has changed over the years. Yeah. Um, that we can be more effective sure. in the culture in which we find ourselves today, which is which is key. You know, we can't just right. stick to things that have happened decades ago. That's um, right, because the world's changing around us. So um, I love uh, I love what you're doing. I love what you're sharing. It's always fresh. Uh, many people they hear uh, the the term apologetics. Yeah, first thing that comes to mind, and and I'm probably guilty of this myself to some degree, is uh, debating yeah. and arguing and kind of one upping someone else and proving them right. wrong. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like it's uh, one of those things that, that oftentimes we we struggle with, and because of that, sometimes we we just kind of push it and you know, put it on the shelf. Think, oh, maybe that's for someone else who's, yeah. you know, who's an investigative journalist. <laughs> you know, what I mean that that can really dig in, but that's not for me. Yeah. So, so first, um, before we jump into talking about how apologetics has kind of changed. Yeah. Um, first, why why is apologetics so important to local church today? Well, I think it's increasingly important. You know, we live in an increasingly skeptical world, even a hostile world toward the Christian message. The internet propagates all kinds of misinformation and propaganda attacking Christianity. People read that. They develop questions and doubts as a result. So I think it's ever more relevant for two reasons. First, 
to deepen the faith of believers so that they'll be more confident in sharing their faith. And secondly, in reaching out to people who are skeptics or spiritual seekers who have what I call spiritual sticking points or questions or doubts that are holding them up in their spiritual journey. Uh, my friend Jay Warner Wallace, who was the atheist um, homicide investigator who became a Christian after investigating the evidence, similar way that I did, said recently that evangelism in the 21st century is spell apologetics. Hmm. Now, I, th- I think he was exaggerating for effect, but I think he also makes a point, which is if we're going to be effective in sharing our faith in the 21st century, we're going to have to be prepared to answer questions that people have and doubts that they express. Uh, Nancy Piercy, who's a well-known researcher, author, scholar, said recently, in studies asking why young people left their family religion, their most frequent response was unanswered doubts and questions. Uh, The researchers were surprised. They expected to hear stories of broken relationships and wounded feelings. But the top reason given by young adults was that they did not get answers to their questions. So we want to bring people into the church. We also want to keep them in the church. Right, you right. know, when, when their faith is challenged, we want to seize that as an opportunity to strengthen their faith so it's stronger than before. So like, you know, when I was in kindergarten, I, I fell off the monkey bars and broke my arm. Well, you know, they had to set it, and, and I had to have surgery on it and so forth. But that place where I broke it is now stronger than the bone around it because of the mending that had taken place. And when we have young people in our church whose faith is challenged by objections that are raised, when we answer those objections and help them realize it's okay to have questions, they can emerge even stronger in their faith. Yeah, I, I love that. And a couple things. One, I love the um, kind of both sides to the coin as mm-hmm. to why apologetics is important, because oftentimes we think of, well, apologetics is important because we need to talk to people who are far from God, right? right? Yeah. But but I think um, the, the fact that apologetics helps us kind of own our faith, understand our faith, dig more deeply into our faith, yeah. you know, to, to a greater degree than, than what um, the average Christ follower sitting in on a weekend worship service, you know, is going to experience, yeah. it, it takes it to a deeper level. So it's, it's both, yes. it's both the, it's the beauty of the marriage between uh, discipleship and evangelism, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, and apologetics pulls that together in a very unique way. Yeah. Um, and, and also I was, I was thinking about the fact that, um, you know, we all know, and all of our listeners have probably seen many, many stories recently of uh, the deconversion yes. of some, you know, some well-known "quote unquote" celebrity leaders or pastors yes. in the church. Especially even recently, we've seen several. And so, I think when we're faced with that, I know whenever some of those uh, that news broke mm. for some of those individuals, I had people asking me questions. Yes. You know, they know the world in which I live in ministry. They were asking me questions. Well, if this was someone who has written best-selling books, you know what I mean, has has been a pastor for many years, has gone to seminary, and now they're they're walking away from the faith. You know, what's in it? You yeah. know, like how how can you and so if we're if we're not digging into apologetics, yeah. you know, what what response do we really have? And yeah. I think that leads to like you said, we, we aren't engaging in conversation, and we know this in our churches. People yeah. aren't engaging, right? That's true. Dave Kenneman found that one of the top reasons young people are leaving the church is because they consider church as an unsafe place to ask questions. <laughs> well, church ought to be the safest place to ask exactly. questions. That ought to be the place where we bring our doubts and, and our objections and so forth, and that um, uh, 
there's tolerance for that and there's uh, questions are welcome and that people can it's natural for all of us to have um, hesitations at points in our life about various aspects of the Christian faith that's okay that's natural that's normal so so Lee let Let's tag on to, to that because I'm sure there are probably many pastors right now listening in thinking, yes, that's so true, but but how? Like what are some ways that, that as uh, when you are on the pastoral staff or other churches that are doing this well, yeah. what are some ways that they're creating a safe place for questions? Well, I think a lot of it comes from the pulpit. It comes from the preaching where Pastors are um, uh, express their openness to hear objections and questions, and where they emphasize friendships and relationships as opposed to debates. Mm-hmm. Debates are okay; they have their place. But I think for the average Christian, the key word isn't debate; it's dialogue, it's friendships, it's re- it's relationships. And uh, so I think the pastor has to set the tone for a willingness to entertain objections that people raise. And then you see it all through the church. You know, when when a person has an objection, is there a place to go? Is there a, pl- a person to talk to? Are small group leaders encouraged to listen authentically and sincerely to questions and doubts that are raised by people in their small group? Are they trained to be able to respond to those in a way that is not the old school of apologetics, which was I'll pin you up against the wall and machine gun you with 1,500 facts, (laughs) but uh, what I call the new approach to uh, apologetics, which looks quite different. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's get into that then. Let's kind of talk through um, what you've been sharing a lot recently about kind of this new approach to apologetics that's kind of necessary in the world in which we find ourselves. So just walk us through some of these. Sure. I think there's um, several characteristics of this new approach to apologetics. One is it's more of a monologue than a dialogue. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's more of a... Get that? We're having a dialogue, right? Yes, yes. It's more of a dialogue than a monologue is what I meant to say. Right. Um, It's where we ask more questions than force-feed answers. Uh, For instance, uh, you know, in in my own personal witnessing to others, I'll often ask the question, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer, what would you ask? It's a great way to initiate a conversation with a non-believer. 80% of the time, they're going to ask a question that is somehow related to why does a loving God allow pain and suffering Mm -hmm. in the world? Normally, in the old days, I would say, oh, that's a great question. Let me give you a five-point sermon on why God (laughs) allows pain and suffering. Nowadays, I don't do that. Nowadays, I ask a follow-up question, which is, wow, of all the questions that you could have raised in the universe, why did you raise that one? And then they say, because my wife... Uh, was just diagnosed with cancer, Mm. or we lost a child in childbirth five years ago. I want to know where was God when that happened. Now you're dealing with the real issue, the emotional issue, the personal issue. And I try to get to that level. I think that's what um, uh, uh, where apologetics often um, uh, skims the surface uh, and, and deals with what I think is kind of the easier question of um, that are raised, easiest questions, as opposed to the more personal. You know, God didn't send a bunch of propositional answers. He sent the answerer. He sent Jesus. Uh, it was a personal response. And, and I think our personal response carries more weight than just delivering a five-point sermon. Uh, and related to that, um, today apologetics is where we do a lot more listening than talking. Mm. Often, the first question that will be raised by uh, someone is a trial balloon. Uh, it's not really their biggest question, but they're testing you. They want to see how you respond. Uh, do you respond immediately by giving a five-point sermon? 
um, uh, do you recoil and say, oh, goodness, you shouldn't be asking questions like that? So they, they raise a question in a gentle way. It's a trial balloon. And if we jump in and just try to deal with that question, sometimes we miss the bigger question. When they see your willingness to have a conversation, to do more listening than talking and engage, um, now they're willing to really ask the follow-up questions, which often are the big ones. So a a related um, characteristic of modern apologetics is we honor questions more than be offended by them. You know, we don't want to express revulsion or or outrage or a shock when someone raises a question about God. Uh, We want to say, uh, we want to relate to it. We want to, um, if we can authentically say, wow, I've had that same question myself in the past. We want to do the listening and the asking of questions and so forth. But how we respond is critical. And that's why I say uh, the way in which a pastor postures um, his own reaction to tough questions in the pulpit uh, can be pivotal in whether or not the church is perceived as a safe place to deal with questions. Uh, also, um, modern apologetics is where we're less arrogant and more loving and understanding. You know, um, apologists love to cite 1 Peter 3.15, uh, set yourself apart uh, in, in the Lord, and then always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And they forget the last part, which is, and do it gently and respectfully. Mm. And today that's ever more important. How we answer the question and how we wrestle with the question and dialogue about a question is often every bit as important as the answer that we give. It's critical. Uh, yeah. I, I think without a doubt, because we see this, the kind of society's take on church um, right. tends to be this idea that the church is trying to almost in a way, shut down yeah, conversation. That's right. right. Like, you sit and listen right, exactly. and I'll pontificate for, for 45 minutes. Right, right. Yeah. And so yeah. so I, th- I think that idea of, of, like you said, listening more and getting more into that dialogue and, and not feeling like we have to, you know, uh, be the expert in the room yeah. and kind of almost put down other right. people's, other people's comments, uh, I think is key. Yeah. What else do we see? Well, uh, it, it, modern apologetics is where we validate non-believers as people who matter to God. In other words, it's easy to fall in the trap of seeing atheists as our enemies, skeptics mm. as our enemies, agnostics as our enemies, Richard Dawkins as our enemy. They are not our enemies. They're loved by God. Satan is our enemy. Yeah. And, and we ought to keep that in mind, that these are people who matter to God. And, and therefore, we want to treat them with respect. We want to validate them as people who are valuable in God's eyes. And I think that changes our attitudes. Uh, another thing is where we understand that apologetics and evangelism these days are much more of a process than an event. I think the statistic is the average person who comes to faith in America has heard the gospel six or seven times. And that's okay. It took the disciples three years to figure out that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, it took me as an atheist two years of investigating the evidence before I came to faith. So it's okay to allow a process and to think to ourselves, you know what? They're on a journey. They may not be as far along as I am. That's okay. Um, let's see where they end up. Yeah, and, um, and that gives us freedom as well, right? Because yes. then it, we don't feel like somehow, because we know it's the Holy Spirit at work. It's, yes. it's not just us, right? right. I mean, God invites us into the process, but the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. So it kind of takes the pressure off of us, opens us up more That's right. to be engaging in spiritual conversations with others more, because now we don't feel like— we uh, have to be the person exactly. to pray the prayer with them. I love what Cliff Connectly said. Cliff Connectly is a sidewalk evangelist, used to be with InterVarsity. And he said, you know, a person coming to faith is like a chain with many links. 
There's a beginning link, there's a middle link, and there's an end link. I know the pleasure of being the first link often, most of the time the middle link, link, and occasionally the last link. I am not called by God just to be the last link. I am called by God to love him and to love people. That's good. That's important to keep in mind. And, and when a person comes to faith, every link in the chain can celebrate right, together. Right. Whether you're the first link, middle link, end link, doesn't matter. We can all celebrate that. Another way that apologetics is different is that we realize more and more that some intellectual doubts that are expressed by people are really smoke screens that are hiding psychological barriers to God. Mm. Um, in other words, a person raises an objection, often will take that at face value and say, oh, wow, they've got some deep intellectual questions about God, when the reality is it's really being driven by something else. I'll give you an example. Paul Vitz, who's a professor of psychology at New York University, wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless, where he looked at the faith or lack thereof of um, major atheists through history and uh, found some commonalities. Uh, every atheist he examined, Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, Voltaire, Wells, Feuerbach, O'Hare, just down the line, everyone had a father who died when they were young, divorced their mother when they were young, or with whom they had a very difficult relationship. And as Freud said, the implication is if your earthly father has hurt you or disappointed you, you don't want to know a heavenly father. Mm. And so this father wound can drive a person's skepticism. They may use intellectual questions to kind of fend off faith. But the truth is they have a deep wound that has been left by a father relationship that, or lack thereof that is really a barrier between them and God. In my own case, this was true. Did I have a lot of questions and obstacles and objections in my path as an atheist? Yes, but I had a horrible relationship with my father. My father looked at me on the eve of my high school graduation and said, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. Mm. So um, was my atheism driven purely by intellectual objections? No, I don't think so. I think it was also driven by this father wound. I think there's a connection between the fact that we have a rise in fatherless families in America and we have a rise in spiritual skepticism. I think those two are related. Mm. And, and so I think we have to be careful when people raise objections, not to just assume that that's really the issue. There might be something deeper. Another way that apologetics is different is we recognize today that a story is sometimes as powerful as a statistic. Mm. You know, I, I, because of my background in journalism and law, I love facts and data and statistics <laughs> and evidence and so forth. But sometimes a story is more powerful. And every preacher knows this. When you tell a story, people, you know, tend to listen more carefully. They, right. they lean forward in their seats. They're more engaged and so forth. And so I think these days— to use uh, new forms of communication in bringing the evidence of the faith to people is increasingly important. So I think of uh, uh, Craig Hazen at Biola University who wrote a novel, and the novel has integrated into it apologetics uh, and evidence for the faith. We did a movie, The Case for Christ film, that came out in 2017, which is still free on Netflix if you haven't seen it. And um, it was just our attempt to say, you know what, a lot of young people, the, their language is cinema. Um, They may not read a 300-page book, but they'll watch a movie. And if we could either whet their appetite for the evidence for God or even bring them to faith through the movie, let's give it a shot. And by golly, we've seen this. And by the way, for pastors, what a cheap and easy and effective outreach at your church. 
just show the movie, The Case for Christ, and invite the community, Invite uh, have your church invite their friends, and uh, see what happens. They did this in New Zealand at a church, and 22 people came to faith right there. Wow. I met a guy who was speaking at a conference in Des Moines recently, and I met a pastor in the restroom, and we were chatting. And uh, I, I, he said, uh, you know, I have a personal ministry where I, when I meet someone who's not a Christian, I invite them to come over to my place and watch the Case for Christ movie with me. And I said, really? That's fascinating. What, what's been the response? And he said, 27 people have come to faith so far. Wow. So you never know. Right, I mean, I'm right. doing it, uh, you know, in, in a couple of days, I'll be doing it again at a church where they're going to show the movie. And then my wife, Leslie, and I are going to do live Q&A right there. Or I've, I've done it where I Skype in and do Q&A. But I just think um, stories are so powerful. And if, and if we can harness those to share the evidence for the faith, we're going to reach a lot more people. Um, another way that apologetics is different, I think today we don't have to pretend we're smarter than we really are. <laughs> and you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, that you know we don't have to be the Bible answer man. We don't have to be the Bible answer lady. It's okay when a friend asks a question that we don't have the answer to. It's okay to say, wow, that's a great question. I have no idea how to answer it, <laughs> but let's find an answer together. And today there's so many good books and, and resources out there, videos and so forth, that you can go to and you can say, let's read this book together. Let's talk about this issue. Let's look at this video together and, um, and find answers. Uh, you know, when I was an atheist and, and did my own investigation into Christianity, you know, there was very little out there to help me. Uh, nowadays, there's a proliferation of excellent resources. So it's okay. And, and you know what? That sets you up to have another conversation. Exactly. Yeah, right. Another way you, you can talk. And then finally, I think a tenth way that uh, apologetics is perhaps different is that we can relax in the fact that the Holy Spirit is superintending all that takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're not alone. Uh, and, and I see evidence of this all the time. I, I remember when Mark Middleberg, my friend, and I were going to do a Q&A in front of 2,000 uh, people in Atlanta. Um, and I think it was a, on a Sunday night. And at lunch that day, we were at a restaurant, and we ran into an atheist. And we got in a conversation. He raised an objection to Christianity to me that I'd never heard before. Mm. And I said to Mark, I said, maybe this is God preparing us, that this question is going to come up tonight. We ought to be ready. So I spent the rest of the afternoon researching this issue. And I found, by the way, there was a complete and total answer to it. But I, I, I worked all afternoon on it, got to the event. Nobody raised a question. <laughs> so I thought, okay, what was that all about? A couple of weeks later, Mark and I were in Chicago doing a similar event in front of 500 people. And the last guy to ask a question, I'll never forget, was sitting in the front row right on the aisle. I raised his hand, stood up, and he asked that very question. And I was able to give a thoughtful answer because I'd done the research and to respond. And as he sat down, he said kind of half to himself and half, I think, to the woman next to him, who I think was his wife, and half to me. He, he said, that was my last question. Mm. And he ended up coming to faith that night. And I thought, isn't that just like God? You know, yeah. I'll, I'll prepare you, but I'll, I'll pull the trigger when it needs to be pulled, you know. And, and so it just gives us confidence. We're not in this alone. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit is with us, and we can therefore have confidence that he's going to superintend all that takes place. Yeah, I, I love that. I remember one of my seminary professors had shared a story when he, was, when he himself was in seminary, and he had a roommate in town and the roommate was an atheist and and he said we get in these conversations and and, and he shared with us that 
one night it got you know pretty deep yeah and um he he just kind of went went all out you know <laughs> what i mean he just let the guy have it basically yeah, yeah. and uh, and he said that he won the conversation but he lost the opportunity for any other conversations yeah, yeah. and that has stuck with me since i was you know a young man yes. in the seminary yeah and, and and i think that's you know what you're sharing you know all these things are leading to this this that you know it, it does us no good yes. if if we feel like we proved something. Yeah, we don't want to win the argument and lose the person. Exactly. Uh, and that's why I think one of the most exciting developments I've seen in recent years in evangelism and churches has been uh, what we call spiritual discovery groups, small groups for non-believers. These are dynamite. Any church can do these groups. Uh, Gary Poole, who is mm-hmm. one of my colleagues, uh, sort of the, the expert on these, we hired Gary when I was in Chicago. We said, come in and organize these groups train the leaders and so forth. Pretty soon, he had eleven hundred non-believers in these groups. Wow! And we tracked them over a period of years and found that if a non-believer joins one of these groups and stays in it, eighty percent come to faith in Christ. Eighty percent. There was a church in California we ran into that had implemented these groups, and the guy told me we've never had a non-believer join a group and not come to faith. Every single one of them has come to faith. Wow! These are dynamite, and and they're easy to do. Anybody can learn to do them. I prevailed on Gary after many years to write a book about how to do these groups, and he did. It's called Seeker Small Groups, and uh, it's terrific. It, it really lays out how any church can have this ministry. But um, I find that that plays to the interests and uh, of, of millennials and young people. They want to have a conversation. They right. want to have a relationship. They want to have a friendship. They want to give their opinion. They want to uh, have a, a back and forth. They want to have a discussion. And this is merely an excuse to get together every week or so and have a spiritual discussion. And uh, the fascinating thing is you can't stop people. Once you start, <laughs> they don't want to stop talking. Because we try to limit them you know, to right. a certain maybe an hour and ten minutes. And uh, it's hard to pull the plug and, and, and end the group because they all want to continue to discuss this that's stuff. awesome how often do you hear that that's yeah you know yeah, what i mean like people yeah. want to continue and dig you know one of the things about those um those uh spiritual conversation those kind of seeker groups um that that mark middleberg yes. brought up was and I, I love this you know um you know when you think in your weekend worship gatherings yes when you're inviting people to place their faith and trust in christ right usually that's I mean, that's the option. Either yes. you do it or you don't. Right? right, right. But with these groups, you can follow that up with, hey, if you weren't, you know, ready to kind of place your total faith and trust in Christ, um, we have a uh, an opportunity for you to, to exactly. come and talk about that. If you have more questions, if you, you know, if, if, if you're still wrestling, yeah. guess what? We have a place, a safe place for you to come in. I love that. I do too. It's, it's so a, good. It's sort of a two-tiered uh, <laughs> right. appeal to say, you know, and I do this all the time where, where I'll say, um, you know, some of you aren't ready. Right. You still have questions. You still have doubts. That's okay as long as you pursue answers. And mm. guess what? We have groups where you can do that. And um, I, I remember this one This one woman um, was going to our church. She was an atheist. And the only reason she came to our church is because her, her daughter had come and become a Christian. And this atheist mother was mad. Oh, So she came to our and she was obnoxious. <laughs> she would admit it today, but she was obnoxious. So... Um, she came up to me at one point and she said, uh, I understand you have groups for people like me who don't believe. I, I said, yeah, that's right. She said, I'd like to join one. And I thought, oh, that's great. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want to join just to be obnoxious. Oh my. I want to just ask all the embarrassing questions that are going to make the Christians squirm. 
said, okay, well, I'm glad it's not my group. <laughs> so she gets into a group. Six months later, we're doing a baptism service. She comes over to me to be baptized. And honestly, I almost fell over. I said, what are you doing here? And she said, I got to tell you what happened. And basically what had happened is she said, the, the two Christians who led my group, loved me even though I was obnoxious. Wow. And when I was sick, they brought me chicken soup. And when I was uh, out of town on business and missed our meeting, they called me up, say, hey, we missed you. Let's get together, have coffee. She said, they listened to me. They validated me as being on a journey. They loved her into the kingdom of God. And that's how these groups work. They're mm. just an excuse. We train the leaders of these groups not to give answers. In other words, do what I did when you know when you ask a question. If you could ask God any one question, he knew he'd give you an answer. What would you ask? Don't answer that. Ask the follow up. Why did he ask that question? Keep probing. Keep probing. Keep asking them questions because eventually they'll turn the table and say, "Well, what about you? Why do you believe?" And it gives you an opportunity to share your story. But you know, often we short circuit things when we jump in too quickly to give the five point sermon on why there's pain and suffering. We don't want to chase people away with that. We want to give answers as they're appropriate, but sometimes it's more appropriate to befriend people and to, and to dig deeper. The The other thing I want to mention is we need training in our churches yes. on, on apologetics. We need evangelism training. We need apologetics training. In fact, Mark Middleberg and I just developed a, a six-week video-driven curriculum uh, call for small groups called Making Your Case for Christ which is teaching on evangelism and apologetics. And N- Natasha Crane, who is a uh, terrific young woman who is a expert on apologetics and children, said something recently that absolutely rocked my world. She said, the sad truth is that in our churches, many of our Sunday school programs are unintentionally teaching our young people how to become secular humanists. In other words, we're creating nice kids who don't really need God. Mm. She said, what's happening is we'll take the Bible and we'll talk about values from the Bible, things like leadership, talking about Moses, or we'll talk about David and talk about courage. Or And, and you know what? That's fine, but secular humanists believe in leadership and courage right. too. We're, we're not teaching our kids why Christianity is true, why it makes sense to believe in God, uh, or how we know that Jesus is the unique Son of God. Instead, we're telling stories from the Bible, but not educating kids on why we can trust the Bible. And the result is we get nice kids who aren't grounded in the truth of Christianity. Wow. We need to start in our—and that's why, you know, we've all my books, Case for Christ, Case for Faith, etc., they all have children's editions. Yeah, yeah. Because we want young people—they're not too young to understand this stuff. I remember when I was doing my interviews with scholars for the Case for Christ, uh, during a break in in one interview, one of the scholars said to me, you know, nobody's going to read your book. (laughs) And I said, well, that's nice. Why why not? He said, well, especially young people. They don't care about evidence for the faith. They don't care about things like truth. And I went home and told Leslie, nobody's going to read my book. I'm wasting my time. (laughs) And yet, through the years, the single biggest group of people who come to faith through the Case for Christ have been 16 through 24-year-olds, young people. And so not only do we need to train our, our Sunday schools, we need to train our, our, through our student groups, yes. through junior high school and high school and college age. We need to help equip them on why we believe what we believe, to do those two things we talked about earlier, deepen their own faith so they'll have confidence to share it, but also uh, to equip them to reach out to their non-believing friends with not just what we believe, but why we believe it. 
That, that's so good, Leah. I, I love how you pull that all, all together. And I love how your approach is multi-generational. Mm. As, as a father of six, yeah. I share with you, you know, my, my daughter, Emma, whenever we saw The Case for Christ, yeah. she came out and she's like, that, that literally, she's like, that's the best movie I, I've ever seen. It's my favorite movie now. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, and I'm, we're, you know, we're not a, a sheltered homeschooling yeah. type of family where, yeah. you know, that's the first movie she got to see right. in the theater. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. Uh, so it, for her to say that and, um, and just really means something. I, I just see that there's a hunger, yeah. right? There's a there hunger is. for this, um, you know, putting the pieces together. And, yes. and even though she was raised in a, in a, a home that honors God, you yeah. know, and believes in Christ, it, it helped her, you know, hear your story. Yes. And, and, and gave her, a, I think, a greater appreciation for her friends who are struggling with, yes, um, you know, like, because for sure. her, she just accepts it. You know what I mean? And she's wrestled through it herself and she's yep. seen the good things of God. Yep. But now her eyes are open to those around her. Yes. And it gives her, a, you know, a, just a, a, a deeper appreciation for them and for God's love for them. Right. And you know what? How old is she? She's 15. Yeah. You know what? If she hasn't yet, she will be challenged for her faith. Yeah. I had a friend recently tell me his kindergarten a granddaughter was uh, criticized and made fun of on the playground because you believe in a fairy in the sky. Wow. Uh, there's a kindergarten. Right, right. Our kids and our grandkids are going to be challenged with this stuff. We need to prepare them. If not, my goodness, it's like sending someone off to war and not giving them a gun. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we got, we got to be prepared. Right. This is spiritual warfare. We got to, we got to prepare our people. And that's, that's the reason we started our new center for evangelism and applied apologetics at Colorado Christian University. Uh, we're creating 130 courses uh, on the certificate level, undergraduate, graduate, um, and PhD levels um, on evangelism and what we call applied apologetics, which is um, n- not to train people to be ivory tower intellectuals, but mm-hmm. to train people who will use their apologetics in the marketplace of ideas in our culture. And um, so these are courses anybody can take anywhere. Um, they're all online and so forth. And uh, we'd like to get alongside of churches and help them yeah. prepare and equip people. So if people want information on that, they can go to ccu.edu slash Strobel Center, and um, the information is there. Excellent, excellent. We'll have links to that in the show notes for the listeners so you can awesome. get there easily. Real quick, as we wrap up, Lee, one one final question. Yeah. And, uh not to put you on the spot, uh, because we could probably answer, you know, spend another hour working through this. Yeah. But thinking of the pastors listening in right now, yeah, a pastor at at you know an average church, what would you recommend would be kind of maybe the next step, the first step mm. for them, if if they really wanted to kind of embrace and help equip their people. In, in kind of this new apologetics? Well, I think one easy way is if you have a small group structure to uh, implement our new course, six week, it's video driven. Mark Middleberg and I teach it through video, making your case for Christ, where we integrate sharing your faith in a natural and effective way, evangelism, but also responding to tough questions and how to do that. Um, or you could use those videos in your services or in a seminar, whatever. Please make use of them. That's why we did them. Right. The other thing is um, I hope pastors will take advantage of our new Center uh, for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. They might want to take a course, you know, on uh, the essentials of evangelism or the essentials of apologetics just to brush up or maybe uh, cut some new ground um, to um, continue to grow in those areas and be prepared. 
you know, speed of the leader, speed of the team. Mm. Um, we as leaders want to model for our congregation that we're learners and that we continue to grow in our um, understanding of God and, and the evidence for him and so forth. And um, I think we send a really positive signal when we when we say, yeah, I'm going to take a course. I'm going to grow some more and, and uh, continue to learn and develop. Uh, that's what the word disciple means. It's right. a, it's an ongoing learner and and so forth. So there and there's some great books out there, terrific new material by so many good people: Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace and Abdu Murray and Nancy Piercy and all these people. There's there's just some wonderful resources. Uh, let's take advantage of them. Um, these people write them because they want to make an impact and to equip people to be able to share their faith naturally and effectively in an increasingly challenging culture. Let's seize those opportunities and implement them. Amen. Love it, brother. It's always good to hang out and catch up. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for your podcast. You know, this is so awesome. I remember Scott Evans, who's president of Outreach, and I knew him years and years ago when he was just starting this organization. What a passion to reach lost people. And, and an innovator, uh, he did something that um, I don't know anybody else could have done, create this organization, which in so many ways, through the magazine, which I always say it's pastoral malpractice not to read Outreach <laughs> Magazine, uh, through this podcast, through um, Outreach Speakers, through um, uh, the, the, the marketing opportunities that churches can avail themselves of and so forth through the Outreach. It's just a terrific organization that makes such a huge impact in local churches. Thank so you. thank you for what you do. Well, thank you for the kind words. It's, it's fun to be a part of such an organization. <laughs> I bet, yeah. yeah. Well, again, thank you for being with us. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. You too. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.